Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. Andy Gillard here. How are you doing this week? It's Matt here. How are you doing? It's Stu and we're all good here. Excellent. It's been a week, gents. We all okay? Keeping safe and sound? Yeah, really good. But are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. We've got a lot to get on this week. We've got two films. We've got uh, Face Off and then we've got Next. So I think we just dive straight in. And this is Face Off. I'd like to take his, his face off. So, apparently, within 12 hours of finishing Con Air, Nick Cage was on set and wigged up to go ahead with Face Off. What is it with Nick Cage's and wigs? Honestly, he <laughs> fucking loves a wig. Which one's worse, Con Air wig or the Face Off wig? You've got to go Con Air wig for me. It's, made, it's, it's in its own meme, isn't it? Of a, of a suppose, flowing yeah. mane in slow motion. Yeah. The, the, Con, the Con Air wig, though, it, it, you could imagine people from the South looking like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> look like they yeah. all wear bad wigs. Um, I, I think they're both equally as bad as each other. But It's not a good look either way, is it? It's. I think his tash in the opening scene is worse than the wig, though. Oh yeah, it's it's borderline offensive, isn't it? That tash. It's not a good one. It's not a good. You one. couldn't you couldn't edit a tash out like that for Superman at all. <laughs> <laughs> they would have tried. So anyway, right. So the film starts, and holy shit, we get a kid shot in the head within <laughs> the first minute. <laughs> Man, wow, he's dying in his father's arms. Cut to Nick Cage as Caster Troy, dressed in a priest's smock, headbanging to choral music and planting a bomb. <laughs> Fuck yeah. This film is turned up to 11 from the very start. If it bloody is. I mean, oh. it started off like a Christmas family film. It's got this wonderful scene on the carousel. I'm thinking amazing. And it fucking turns into Max Payne within the <laughs> out of nowhere. It just it becomes an absolute bloodbath. And then... And then what, what I've been wanting since the start of this podcast, we finally get unleashed batshit crazy cage, don't we? And he does it whilst headbanging, dressed as a priest. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't get more heavy metal than that, does it? Let's be honest. And not only do we get crazy cage, we get crazy Travolta off the bat. The first we time we see him, he's doing a Steve Carell impression from Anchorman, screaming <laughs> loud noises. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? Chill out. You're in the office. Uh, but yeah, so we're introduced to Caster Troy and Sean Archer. Early doors. We know where we are with these pair. We know that some scenery is going to get chewed. Also, in my notes, as we move on, it gets muddled as fuck with the names for obvious reasons. So just bear in mind that we might refer to someone as the wrong person, but you'll know where we are, sort of, maybe. But no matter how mad it sounds, it is not as mad as this film. So, with the two big dogs of the movie all set up, it's time to meet the B-team. I both love and hate the introdu- introduction to Pollock's Troy. When you see him sat on that car, mm. and then, then you see um, Cage roll up in his soft-top convertible and he comes out. I hate the fact that he calls him bro. To me, I find that it's the worst trope of a lazy screenwriter. How are we going to show these two are related? Oh, he calls him bro. It's like, really? Think of something a little bit more original. So I didn't particularly dig that. 
But it, but it was, as you say, it, it was the 90s, though. So, and I, I, I went to school yeah. with people who called each other bro, who were brothers. And in an unironic way. <laughs> so it's... Maybe it was a sign of the times. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's another one of these things where it's it stands out because it's so ridiculous now than it was then. Okay. But, yeah, it's... They don't look the same, do they? <laughs> it's, it's <really> that <laughs> Not way. even close. And if, one, if your name's Pollock, then... I think you 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 got worse problems than being called bro. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's the start. But what I did like about that scene was when Nick Cage gets out of the car and he's got that billowing red jacket with this reddish tinted suit, kind of looking a little bit Satan esque. Mm-hmm. And then you see his two golden guns with fucking dragons on. You know, <laughs> oh wow, this is where we are. Incredible. And then Caster Troy gets on his plane, immediately offers the flight attendants to suck his tongue, (laughs) (laughs) which she does, like happily does it, even though she's an FBI agent. Like she didn't have to. She could have just said, no, I'm just here to work, sir. But no, she's like, I'll have some of these before she then later gets thrown, literally thrown off the plane. Literally deep undercover. (laughs) Literally the deepest. Yeah. Honestly, like we're only ten minutes into the film by this point, and I, th- I think I could write an essay just on that. It's just amazing. And then the police find out that Castor has bought this airplane or has hired this airplane. He's paid with cash. They even say, "How would they know he has hired this plane with cash? There would be no record of it." <laughs> He's a mastermind criminal. He's not using his real name, surely. But no, apparently they know it's him because they've been tracing his money or some such shit. Then all of the police descend onto the plane. And we get this scene where you've got 50 cars just chasing the airplane down the runway. But somehow John Travolta is on the other side of the runway, just on his own, just running towards it. <clears throat> where are we? I've lost I've lost my place. Honestly, this is staining. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's staining. Yeah. So, right, we've got Crazy Cage off the bat. We've got Crazy Travolta straight out of the gate. Planes, helicopters, jet engines. I need a swig of my uh, cider. This is... I don't think I've seen a film which has had such a high-octane 20 minutes. Like, this is a whole film just condensed into that opening 20 minutes. So we get the introduction of the characters. We get the reason the one character is after the other. We get the chase... And then, spoiler alert, we get John Travolta killing, or what we believe, killing Nick Cage. It's a whole film within 20 minutes. It does have the, it does have like an end of film um, climax to the very beginning of a film, which is absolutely bizarre, isn't it? Um, you do kind of see it all. Like you expect to see this at the end of a 90s action flick, not at the very beginning. It's it's very John Woo. It's it's, it's very high concept John Woo. Absolutely, and yeah. The um, the flowing clothing, the guns, the explosions. I mean, like you said, we, we have all watched films that last two hours, and <laughs> it's it's almost six films in one. This whole thing <laughs> <laughs> really is. I mean, honestly, if that film would have ended there, I would have been delighted with what we were given. <laughs> 
That would be a 10 out of 10 in my books. Do we think, you know, when the, the scene at the end of the, the 20 minutes when John Travolta pushes Nick Cage in front of the jet, do we think that's a nod to The Rock? I mean, he should have said, it's you, you're the rocket man, and then pushed him in front of it. <laughs> so from that point, we then cut to the Travolta household. Character names have just gone out the window by this point. It's either going to be Travolta or Cage or good Travolta and bad Cage. That's <laughs> the only way we're going to get through it, I think. Now, I'm a bit confused. Why is Jamie, his daughter, being bullied? She's wearing a bit of eyeliner and got a nose ring. Like, like Stu said, this is the 90s. That's like de rigueur for a 90s kid, surely. New Metal was in its infancy at this point, so I don't really understand why uh, why we get this subplot that doesn't really go anywhere. No, what I did like... No, but I noticed when, um, when Travolta said something about her looking like... I can't remember what he said, but looking like Halloween. And she runs out the room like Phoebe does in Friends when she's running <laughs> her arms. <laughs> that really tickled me for some reason, but yeah. So then <clears throat> Travolta finally gets to tell his wife that the man who killed his kid, <sighs> that was only 20 minutes ago he killed the kid. The man who killed his kid, he's finally done and over with. Why he's waited till this point to tell her rather than phoning her and just letting her know. But that's another story. The other thing I've got in the notes, what's that face hand waterfall thing all about? Mm, yeah, it's, it was on my notes as well. It really irritated me throughout the whole film. Yeah. I wrote down in my notes, wax on, face off. <laughs> because it was just like, it was just, it's just, it's just this weird, like Mr. Miyagi kind of, thing that this happens all throughout is like a meant to be a touching moment kind of thing and it was just um i thought it was going to be used more like as a as a plot device but it, it's not it's a macguffin if anything it just it just exists as a um as just an annoying habit a tick you might say it's, it's used one saint to prove that it's him that's it <laughs> mm-hmm. but that, it, that's how she knows that man is her husband he tickles yeah, her face he strokes her face with, with. It's just if if someone did that to you, what, what would your reaction be? I, Do you think that that was his chat up line? He, he just he met uh, her in a bar and just strokes her face. So we've gone from John Travolta at this point being over the moon. He's now back in the office the day after, being the surliest bastard you've ever seen. He gets sent a gift from the CIA, and rather than saying oh like thanks, he's like. Tell him to fuck off. What's that about? <laughs> like, this character, he's been very bipolar off the bat, and I don't really get where we are with Travolta at all. Yeah, I agree. It's it's almost like they are, they're playing up the fact that he's devastated because of his kid, but throw like shoving it in your face. Like, this is what it's done to him. Yeah. I mean, subtlety is not in this film's uh, next <laughs> one, is it? Let's be honest. The thing, the thing is, for me, with that, you can't like Travolta is best when he's bad Travolta in this and like he's the juxtaposition between when he's in the office as the cool guy when he is playing Castor Troy when Castor Troy is Travolta or whatever you want to how if you want to I don't know how we're going to do this but like that was so entertaining I think they had to have him be such a prick when he's in the office yeah. normally but it, it's jarring it's the point where it's jarring and mm. it um, makes him completely unlikable as opposed to um just showing how different it's going to be when he's evil John Travolta. <laughs> yeah. 
And then at this point, special ops come in to piss on John Travolta's pity party. They tell him there's a bomb in L.A. and that Pollock's Troy will only talk to his brother, who we believe to be dead at this point. So in order to make Pollock's talk, they decide to swap Travolta's face with Cage's. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe that is like an actual sentence that I have said about the film. First thing, where do you start with this? I mean, Jesus. They say they've got different blood types for a start. So we know that they that would reject his face <laughs> transplant. It would go gangrenous like within hours and reject it. That's not a good thing. <clears throat> Scientists show in the, that scene they can build an ear from scratch. Why can't they just replicate a face that he can just put over it rather than taking one man's face off and putting it on another one's? Yeah, and what was, what, what was all that about the plastic mould thing? Was that, was that, that was never explained either? No, no it, it was just there. It was like the, the inside of the mould was your face and then the outside we put... But they didn't put the mould on the face. They just put the face on his muscles. <laughs> it's funny because I'd, I'd put down... Um, <laughs> of all of the possibilities in the world... We take his fucking face off. <laughs> Just, of all of the possibilities. And you know what the best thing about it is? He took less convincing to do this than when I'm on a diet and my wife asks if I want to take away. Because he goes he goes in two footed straight away. There's no it's it's just like, you know what, I'm not feeling this. No, fuck it, I'm I'm in. I'm in. I'm all in, baby. Yeah. And it's just um I just it's just I don't know how they've done it any differently, though, but it's just how how quickly he's just involved, and he's like, yeah, yeah I think I, I think taking my face off is going to be the right <laughs> the right move here. But the best thing is about all of it is they have all this amazing tech that they use, um, but still use a barber for his hair, which I thought was strange. <laughs> like they've got all this amazing tech, but they still have to get somebody in with a, a manual pair of scissors to, you know, to start to tidy it up. <laughs> So the next scene, they're actually swapping the faces. I actually thought this was quite well done. I mean, you you have to just accept that it's mental. But I thought that the the effects that they use to show their removal of the face and stuff, I thought looked pretty good. Especially when you think that it's 1997 and we're only a couple of years away from Star Wars, Phantom Menace and how bad the, the CG in that was. You think actually they can do good effects at this point. I was impressed with that. So, yeah, they swap the faces over. Travolta, who is no cage, goes to jail and he puts the Super Mario Brothers Goomba boots on. <laughs> and apparently they are actually the Goomba boots. They're the actual ones from the Super Mario Brothers film. I don't know why they decided to use them, but that's where we are. Brilliant. Of, of all the things just lying around on set. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it, doesn't it? But we get into the prison and good guy Cage, as I'm now going to refer to him. So this is <clears throat> internal Travolta, external <laughs> Cage. <laughs> good guy Cage, that's his name from now on. Right. He immediately gets into a fight and we get to see those crazy eyes Cage again. That's what we want. We want that batshit where he's, he looks a little bit like a snake and he's about to eat some motherfucker. I, that's, that's my Cage. That's what I want to see. But with the um, the uh, the same look of crying and being mad at the same time, <laughs> forcing himself to do it. 
Yeah. We, I mean, we, we, as we mentioned on all of the uh, on all of the cage related pods that we do, so we'll talk about it at the end anyway. But I think Cage did a really good job here of um, showing. I know he had to pretend that he was uh, Caster Troy, but showing his acting that actually he's really getting into this. There was an element that he actually enjoyed it because don't forget he's this straight laced you know, tied it up to 11 kind of guy, whereas in here he can be anyone who he wants to be. And I think it shows like a very quick descent into actually enjoying being the criminal, I thought, in, in that scene when he has the fight um, in the prison. I think he did a really mm. good job of it, Cage, and put that across really well. Yeah, he's acting like he's Sean Archer, acting like he's cast. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. <clears throat> and at this point, the original bad guy OG version of Cage wakes up in the medical facility where he's not got a face. And then he looks into that that room where it's been done and sees Sean Archer's face. Like, what the fuck must he have been thinking waking up to that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing he decides to do is get the doctor to stick that face on him. Now, apparently, there were other people who were considered for the, the roles of Sean Archer and Caster Troy. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford and Michael Douglas, Bruce Willis, Alec Baldwin, Pacino and De Niro, I mean, that's a bit obvious, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal. Oh, no, that would have been great. There's, I mean, you can sort of see why they've grouped those guys together, yeah. but yeah. none of those would have given us this thriller minute that these pair would have given us. No. Yeah, we, we, like the the one that not interests me the most, but I just think oh maybe it's pure morbid curiosity would be Arnie and Stallone, um, just yeah. to see how bad it would be. Um, not either known for their great you know dramatic performances, um, and I think whereas this is batshit crazy and ridiculous, and you can poke fun at it. Actually, there are some really good moments in it from a from from a performance point of view whereas those two i think would have butchered it to the point where you can't enjoy it yeah it would have been car crash viewing i think yeah it had it been those pair especially Mm. so no bad travolta flirts with actual travolta's wife and then he flirts with the daughter as well (laughs) he then moves into sean archer's life to take over we see good cage is now in the hole where he finds out that Pollux Troy has been set free by Bad Travolta. Bad Travolta is now getting shit off his boss for trying to cut a deal with Pollux. I'm going to stumble over that word every single time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite sure it wouldn't solely be his decision to make at this point. So I can't imagine he's going to say, oh, I'll tell you what, Pollux, we'll get you out of prison if you just tell me where the bomb is. That would surely be a decision for his higher-ups, not for just an FBI agent. Surely the DA would have to be involved in this. Bad Travolta stops the bomb that he has planted at the start of the film, um, and he keeps it going right up until the last two seconds. Much like we praise them for their work on The Rock for not leaving it to the last minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what they did here, was leave it until the dying seconds. Bad Travolta gets all the plaudits for saving the city and he's cracking jokes and he's got zero shits to give. Whilst Good Cage is rotting in a jail cell. But not for long. He uses the man he had the fight with at the beginning to escape from the prison. Outrunning machine guns and bad cops somehow. But 
you know, it's all real because he's wearing those Super Mario Brothers Goomba boots, so he can just jump really high. It'll be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> the FBI tell Bad Travolta that Good Cage is dead. Bad Travolta doesn't just chew the scenery here, he swallows it whole. This this scene was the highlight of the film for me. It was absolutely excellent. Yeah. The, the way he, when the, when the door when he, he walks in through the um through the door from the darkness and you that the smirk on his face, you go from the, the smirk on his face to the the sheer horror <laughs> on good mm. cage. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> I'm confused. It's just, just the they don't even have to speak. Just the facial expressions alone are just superb in this one. I, I this was the scene where we watched it together for a change and um. Wife, that is not you two. <laughs> she was, um, she was kept looking over at me. I said, In a minute, in a minute, you know, I didn't know that she'd seen it almost as much as I have. And as soon as it came out, we both just looked at each other and just smiled. It's, it's, it's just superb. That whole scene is superb. It is a wonderfully worked bit. <clears throat> when Cage escapes the prison, he steals a beige Volvo. No. In The Rock, Stanley Goodspeed says that he drives a beige Volvo. And in Con Air, when Cameron Poe drops Pinball from the plane, it lands on a beige Volvo. So this is the beige Volvo trilogy. Okay, <laughs> nice. I, I, that is some level of detail. I mean, that, that's got to have been pre-planned. There's no way they've just looked into that, surely. Maybe it's one of these, you know, job lots prop things you know listen you could buy one beige volvo yeah or we'll give you five for the price of three and now they've got to use them at this point yeah that's either it. that or you buy this beige volvo and we'll give you a massive box of wigs use them as much as you like <laughs> so with nowhere to go good cage makes contact with bad cages old running buddies he does a shit ton of coke and confides in the goons that he wants to take travolta's face off <laughs> And then we get some of the crazy eye cage again. We get a sub taxi driver mirror monologue, which I really enjoyed. I we've, did, all, I, we've, all, we've all done that, haven't we? We've all, we've all got drunk at a house party and looked in a mirror, looked back I at yourself when you're else. really drunk and you've just been like, who is this standing in front of the mirror? We've all done that, haven't we? I mean, that's got to be one of the most relatable parts of this fucking crazy plot. <laughs> Standard, isn't it? I think the, the last time I did that, I think that was when I drank three quarters of a bottle of tequila and I was 16. And when, oh, he, he, when you're staring in the mirror and you're staring for so long that you don't recognise your own nose. <laughs> <laughs> again, another shout out to Dean who listens. Um, yeah, I think that whole, again, that whole moment, especially when he's, because I thought at the time, I thought they're going to, they're going to wait here. They're going to, they're going to drug him up so badly that he can, they can tell that something's off. But again, he gets so into it. <laughs> The, the inner torment of it himself mm-hmm. getting into yeah. it as well mm-hmm. it's just it's just superb again it's almost like sean archer hated his own life and was enjoying the fact he is no longer sean archer yeah, Absolutely. Sense. yeah. I, know, I know we i know we take this in like a jokey a jokey like but that's exactly what it is and i think cage especially of the two portrays that really 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 well you know both of both of the characters like the other characters elements in to some degree Mm-hmm. But um, Cage's portrayal of that is, is excellent. Like you can almost tell he's he's, he's almost um, smitten by the idea of being this criminal at times. Like yeah. some of the elements of it are actually really attractive to him. 
Yeah, it's the allure of the darkness almost, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bad Travolta then saves his fake daughter from being assaulted and then gives her a butterfly knife. I wonder if that will come back into play. <laughs> <laughs> this next scene is absolutely batshit crazy. And that scene in a film which started with a kid being shot in the head. <laughs> right, so I've got it written down so I make sure I get this right. Good Cage meets the Seed of Castor. Pollux is spying on the group and reports back to Bad Travolta, who then sends a team of FBI to the, the place where they're all at. And this whole scene is played out to somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> I do not, for the slight, I just haven't got a clue why they picked that song. I'm trying to think of it from, like, I'm trying to think maybe it's more than it is and there's some kind of, there's, there's something cleverer than I can understand about it that, you know, in, in The Wizard of Oz, they're living double lives and they are two different people. Um, yeah. That's the only thing I can think of, literally. But then you really are scraping the bottom of the ideas barrel to even get to that conclusion. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know if it's purely, like, they're trying to, have something that's super jarring by having something that you consider like quite innocent with a bloodbath. Mm. Um, but then I don't know if I give the film enough credit to do that either. No. So I don't know. But from what I've read, John Woo was so obsessed with having this film in, he paid for the rights. Wow. <laughs> so um, was it, I can't remember if it was Warner Brothers or Paramount off the top of my head, but the, the producers of the film refused to pay the money for it because they didn't see the point. But John Woo was like, nah, we've got to have Somewhere Over the Rainbow. So forked out his own money for it. I don't think the film's any better for it. So it seems like a bit of a waste of money for me. But mm. maybe that's just me. I don't know. On the tax fiddle. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> right, that's that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. At the end of this scene, Pollux dies and actual Castor loses it. He murders his... He murders... Hang on. So actual caster, <laughs> actual caster is bad Travolta. He murders the boss of good Travolta. Fucking hell, this film. So yeah, he murders the FBI chief and decides that he's now going to take on the world on his own. Why the hell not? So cage-faced Travolta sneaks into his marital home and confesses everything to his wife. And face waterfall thing again for some reason. Uh, and then she goes off to get her own evidence after stabbing her, her, the person she's lying in bed with who is actually Castor Troy but looks like John Travolta. <clears throat> we then get to some of the more good stuff. We get the shootout in the church. This is John Woo, out John Woo in John Woo. It is just, oh, it's chef kiss. That's what it is. It's beautiful. Doves. Yeah. The doves, the guns, the diving whilst shooting, shouting, ah. Uh, Bad Travolta kills his baby mama though Which, not good, but never mind The voiceover stuff Just after the actual shootout Was horrendous So you know the bit where his Module thing becomes dislodged Mm. And it's Travolta's voice Coming out of Nick Cage That looked hokey as fuck Mm, It was terrible Really poorly made uh, when they're outside and Travolta is holding the daughter hostage, she stabs him with the leg with that butterfly knife. Cage doesn't give the daughter any time to move out of the way before he opens up a barrage of shots at Travolta, though, which I thought was weird. It's like, at least wait for her to dive, mate. <laughs> uh, 
to complete the trifecta to complete the trifecta of air, land, and sea, we get a jet boat jet boat chase. There were just two jet boats in the harbour, completely unattended for them to jump into. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was. It was at this point. Um, I wanted my own face off, to be honest, because I, I, I like. <laughs> it was at this point I'd had enough, to be honest. Of uh, I thought they, we could have we could have got rid of the, the entire part of this chase. <laughs> to be fair, it just seemed so shoehorned in, much like how we discussed um, in Conair that they at the end of Conair they had, had had a chase scene for the sake of spending the budget. Maybe I don't know. It just felt like it was so. It could have it could have been trimmed and uh, have been paced so much better. But um, mm. but there we go. You know, land, sea, and air. I didn't even think of it like that. Mm. There was, Stu, there were, what are your thoughts? There were times in in that boat chase where I'm, I swear they used the same footage twice. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with, you know when when it was when it was jumping through. I know it was when he was jumping through. The boats were jumping through boats and and, and sheds and stuff. And you know it did the typical John Woo slow motion. Well, kind of janky kind of slow motion. John Woo style, and it showed one one camera, then another camera. But I'm sure they just reused footage, and it didn't really. I, I couldn't find anything on it, so I thought I'm sure I've seen that. I can't be the only one, surely. <laughs> so, copy and pa- copy and paste in the editing room, just over yeah, and over yeah, and exactly, over again. something like that. And it, I was thinking, oh, is it um, is it boat chases from the past and go back to Bond again? <laughs> <laughs> Is it as bad as that? Not really, <laughs> especially the uh, Roger Moore era. But mm. I, again, same thing with the Conair discussion, where you you both thought it was silly and it could have ended there. I, I just wanted more of it. How how much <laughs> how much more silly can it possibly get? And yeah. and when you you're jumping from boat to boat, of course, and then you get get flown through the air onto a beach, of course. And you're still fine. You're still both fine. <laughs> and but why wouldn't you be? Because it's this film. I mean, let's be honest. They've swapped fucking faces. It's just <laughs> yeah. And, and healed within... perfectly fine with anything else. Healed within a day. Yeah, that's it. Not even bruised. Despite <laughs> <laughs> having I... liposuction as well. That we we didn't even mention oh, that. Yeah. Uh, liposuction, hair, hairline um, amalgamations and stuff like that. And you think well. Surely, when I know people who had liposuction in the past, and they can't even fucking walk for for a week, <laughs> so jumping around, shooting guns, and jumping off boats. Yeah, I mean, like it was completely unnecessary, but I did like this chase scene. I thought it was well shot. It was high octane. It was energetic. It was fun. It wasn't needed, but I'm kind of glad it was there at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then <clears throat> we get to the bit where Good Cage shoots the harpoon at Bad Travolta and he stops it before cutting his face with the glass. I thought that was really tense in that part. Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. really rashly talking. He's holding it with all his might, cutting his face, and you just think, I really want him to die now. They really, I thought they did an excellent job on that scene. Yeah, I agree with you there. It was. Um... When it comes to um, him cutting himself with a glass, actually, I thought to myself, "Oh man, like, where's this going to go?" Actually, like, how are they going to how are they going to explain this? What they're going to do with it? And I think you're you're right. It takes you out of the ridiculousness of what was going on for at least a split second of that film. And I think they did a really nice job of it. Mm. 
Oh, and I like the fact that he ends up killing him by kicking him in the balls. Well, <laughs> that, that was enough just to get it done. Awesome. So then we get the face swapped back over. We're back to normal. Except he's not. It's not back to normal because they've got a kid. They've got another kid to replace the dead one. <laughs> Is it just yeah. weird? Does that seem a little bit wrong? It was. It was. It, first of all, the foggiest day in the history of man when he comes through <laughs> the. Like, I don't know, was, yeah. it, was there a mass fire going on? And, <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, they've missed a trick here. You know, let's let's ramp up the um, the science fiction. Why not say that, actually, that child was um, a clone grafted from the corpse of their dead child to begin with? Because <laughs> they might as well. They could, they might as well. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's nothing, you know, the, the, the technology's there, clearly, because they can, they can replace someone's fucking face. So why not? They should have just done it that way. <laughs> just, yeah, with uh, everything else we've got, why not? Exactly. You know, in, in Coronation Street, when Kevin had a, <laughs> Kevin had a child with someone else who wasn't Sally, and he moved back in with her, she couldn't cope with the fact that it was his child by someone else, let alone the child who, of someone who killed your child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't even speak to his fucking wife about it. It's literally home. just, look what I've bought. <laughs> like like bringing home a puppy at Christmas, Jeez. like we're just meant to exp- like just be like, oh, it's a pup, oh, it's a child that looks exactly like our child. <laughs> I got I got told off for putting a projector screen up in my house, <laughs> bringing the child out. <laughs> Apparently, on the special edition DVD, the ending was going to be different. Hmm. So the ending was going to be John Travolta as Sean Archer looking into a mirror. And him seeing Caster Troy Nick Cage back. I'm kind of glad they didn't go with that ending because that makes absolutely no sense. And I know nothing in this film makes sense, but that would have just been even weirder than it particularly needs to be. It was the right call to cut that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right there, mate. Let's mm. leave. Let's leave it at the <laughs> the ending. The ending, as ridiculous as it was, at least it's a definitive finish. We're not. Um, we're not. You know looking at multiple personality disorder and that kind of thing in the end. Yeah. That's, that's a bridge we didn't need to cross, I think. Mm. So we'll do the good, the bad and the crazy on this film. Matt, do you want to tell us what your, uh, your three are? So for good, um, I thought, except for the, um, the boat chase at the end, I actually thought the film was paced really, really well. Mm. I thought it doesn't hold up on the action. And sometimes that can be really exhausting, but I actually think it was paced really nicely where you never really felt burnout throughout all of the film. Like It goes from shootout to fight to thing all the way through, but it doesn't ever feel like we just, it's either a slog or it's too quick. Like you get to enjoy every, every element of it um, as you're going along, which I really, really, which I thought was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the bad, and it, it, it goes without saying, really, the suspension of disbelief isn't even questioned, and it, <laughs> and, and just a little more exploration of some of the things that happen would have been a little bit more appreciated, just to allow us as the viewer to um, not accept because it's you know it's a ridiculous plot and however they explain it but you just wouldn't be so jarring it, it we wouldn't be laughing at it we'd be kind of going along we wouldn't be poking fun at it we'd kind of just be accepting it and i think because it's so yeah let's oh yeah just take my face off yeah don't worry about it we <laughs> we, we laugh at it as opposed to kind yeah. of um you know appreciate it um in terms of the crazy it was something that i'd 
I'd wrote down, and I don't know if you guys picked up on anything like this as well. Um, there was so, and we know that obviously um, Cage is very into his comic books, and we, and he wanted to be the Joker himself. Um, it's mm-hmm. come out at a later time, but there was so many Batman um, things going on in this film. So we'll start when Pollux is arrested the first time. He's dressed in like green, look, looking very much like the Riddler with um, hiding, uh, he's very clever and he's hiding the bomb. And we know about that. We've got the surgery is purple and green in color. What kind of medical facility is, is, has a green <laughs> walls, it's purple and green. And it's very, um, it's very much follows the death in the family arc of, of, of Batman and the Joker and the taking the face off and, mm-hmm. and that kind of element. Um, he dances, um, evil cage. Okay, that's right. He dances. It's all a performance like the Joker. He's very theatrical in the way that he moves around and he wants to be this over-the-top flamboyant, very camp character at time. He's even got a Victor Zaz as his right-hand man, the bald, the bald drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. He's got a Victor Zaz as well. And we even see a Harvey Dent in the hospital, half-man burnt face, completely burnt down the middle of his face in the hospital. Um, portraying a Harvey Dent kind of character as well. There's, there's loads in the film. Like there's, you, you'll watch it again and you'll see even more. There's just little nods to Batman throughout, mm. whether it's intentional or not. And maybe I've just, I'm wanting it, so I'm seeing it. But yeah. there are absolutely loads. And the, the, the purple-green surgery for me was the most, because that's what the colours that we associate with the Joker. Mm. Um, almost as if the operation that's happening is... Um, mutilation of a surgery than an actual legitimate doctors and there's loads of little things that that, that that made me think actually that's what they're playing on here but they're playing it as a comic book i don't know if you guys saw any of that or you know poo poo on it do do what you need to but that's, that's just what i took mm. from it now you mention it the scene where we first meet pollux mm-hmm. when caster gets out of the car and his coat is billowing behind him it mm. is very reminiscent of sort of 90s era Jim Lee artwork, that look of the big cape behind him. So, yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from because there definitely are those nods to the comic book world. Yeah, I mean, even with like the the blood red shirt and, and that billowing, you know, it's very Spawn esque, if anything. Mm, yeah. Um, you, you know, they, they play a lot on the devil and 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 it was some of these metaphors that were, that were going on in the film that I didn't actually know. Am I giving this film too much credit? Is it cleverer mm. than I think it is? Um, you know, they, they do loads of things about like the temptation of the devil as as bad Travolta with even his daughter wearing these like these cotton white panties. Very, you know, she's a virgin and he's here as the devil to tempt a kind of thing. And there's these mm. all. And, and I don't know if I'm just thinking too much about it. And, and if that's the case, then maybe. But from a crazy, I think there was so many kind of references to other other films and especially Batman that it, it just kept my mind going. Yeah, you you even got the thing with the daughter as well, where the um the reaction where he goes ow for like for absolutely no reason mm. when he, when, he, when he gets the fag off her, and there is I, I never even considered any of that whatsoever. But now, Honestly, now you, you might have to you, rewatch you mention, it, mate, and um and, and you'll now, you'll see you'll see it's clear as day. Yeah, now you mention it, it is it's almost, it's almost everything you just everything you've just said is. I mean, I've got my, my Joker flashlight over there, and it's it is exactly exactly like you said. Mm. I mean, how much do we know? How much creative influence he had on it? A lot. 
both him and Travolta, I think, were almost given free reign. Yeah, that would explain Which that, I think, then. yeah, I think you can see that in the film. Stu, what was yours, um, your good, bad and uh, crazy from the film? The good, I thought they actually impersonated each other really well. Um, you could tell that that actually then just turned up on the day and said, OK, we, we're going to do this. You can see that they spent time with each other and kind of copied the mannerisms and things like that. Um, I thought they were, it, that was really well done. Um, the action, I mean, I love John Woo anyway. I miss mm-hmm. you, Fossil too, that he did. I love Hard Boiled. Even the, um, there's a very, very random PS3 game called Stranglehold, if you can find it. There's a John Woo game. It's it's the sequel to Hard Boiled. Oh, right, okay. Which no one seems to have ever heard of. But yeah. it's, it, I mean, it might have aged really badly now, like, the, uh, <laughs> like Max Payne, <laughs> who mentioned loads <laughs> of times on this. Um, but yeah, the, the, the action was really, really well done. All the, the like I said earlier, the, the flowing robes and the guns and just everything about all the, the cinematography in it was superb. I mean, yeah, it's, the bad, obviously, it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> the things that the um, the face just his face just being in just some like white vinegar on its own. <laughs> 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 I mean, why? Surely it would be locked up somewhere in a cage. Mm. Um, <laughs> but why was he kept alive? If he was dead, if he was if he, if he was medically dead, why was he just kept alive with no face and bandaged up? What was the point? Like, we know we know in Robocop that he was property of OCP and they could do what they want. Mm. Surely, if it's a, a similar kind of government thing, he'd be just killed. He'd yeah. just be euthanized. <laughs> he wouldn't be allowed to just <laughs> wake, wake up like some kind of Frankenstein creature on his own in a bed. Sat up like the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> you could you could quite easily cut that to the Undertaker music easily. Yeah. I'd like to see that now. You've said it. That sounds great. Um, anything like I'm just trying to think because it was there was a lot of the peach stuff. I think peach flowers. Haven't even mentioned that. No, no, we got well, nearly an hour. We haven't even mentioned peach. Oh god! And his he, <clears throat> fascination with the arse. It's just another wonderful little side note to the nineties. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, as usual, overall, I love this because it was nonsense. But yeah, there was there was very few things that I, I found fault with. Just again, because it's a shut your brain off kind of thing. That's fair. <clears throat> so for my good, bad, and crazy, for the good, they swing for the fences in this film. They don't always get there, but I tell you what, they put they put everything up to eleven. They really go for it, and I I admire that. Even if it doesn't work, fuck it. They, they've tried. Excellent. The bad, the whole Castor Troy's son subplot. Yeah. Weird. Weird. It's not particularly necessary. He's got a replacement for the dead kid. I find that a bit odd. The fact that it's his mortal enemy, it's his son. There's like serious psychological damage that would be there if that was <laughs> the actual case. Didn't like that. Doesn't make any sense. Awful. The crazy, this film starts with a kid getting shot in the head. <laughs> 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 what more could be said? The whole thing is crazy. But that's why I enjoyed it. You know, we haven't even said, we haven't even mentioned when he was um, 
when he was dressed up as a priest and when he's grinding against one of the congregation girls. <laughs> yeah. In front of a room of like a hundred people as well. Yeah. It's just and that it is peak age in that oh, moment. Yeah. yeah. I'm already, looking, the I'm mouth, already yeah. looking forward to like the the hundredth episode like re-review we do of a film where we can go back and talk about this <laughs> like part two because there's so much more that you can you can you can you can dig into really 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 good it's probably like the deepest of the films we've done yet i think it's strangely yeah considering it's just off the wall it, mm. there's a lot of um yeah there's a lot of depth to it i think and not all good stuff but it is there <laughs> So we'll do the two questions that we do of every film. Did you enjoy this film? I'll kick this off. Absolutely. <laughs> it's insane, but it's fun insane. I'd never look again. I never looked at my watch. That's always a good tell for me. If I have to think how long have I got left to watch this film, then I know I'm not enjoying it. And I didn't. It did. Yeah, that, that last little section wasn't particularly needed, but it was fun. So for me, yeah, thumbs up. Stu, did you enjoy it? Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Should I have even bothered asking? <laughs> it's a, it was another one of them, very much like Con Air, where it was one of the early DVD boys of when I was mm. bought shitloads of action films. And I hadn't seen it for a while. And probably about the same time, about th- probably about 10, 12 years, something like that. But it, I remembered every single line, every set piece. And I've probably watched it about 10, what, 10 times in my life. And... Even this time, I was amazed how quickly it went. And it's not, it's not a short film at all, is it? No. Um, yeah, I, I just loved it. It's, it, knows what, it knows what it is, and they, they play it up to the max. And that's all you can ask. Mm. Matt, did you enjoy it? I did. For, all, you know, for every negative that you have, ridiculous plot, um, everything else, there is, there is plus points aplenty. It, you know, I'm never going to look back at it and think right i need something like intellectually dig my heels into or anything like that <laughs> which is fine absolutely fine and i'm looking forward to because there are films that cage you know does that in and i'm looking forward to looking at those however it's exactly what it wanted to be it was balls to the wall volume up as much as it can be ridiculousness that actually when you do look deeper there are some plots and some uh, metaphors and stuff that actually you can discuss a little further that's all i can ask of an action film really so yeah really enjoyed it and unlike maybe um con air it's something i'm looking forward to going back to in the not too distant future mm. yeah that's fair uh, the other question we ask based on this film and this film alone is nicholas kim coppola a good actor matt let's go back to you what do you think i don't think it could be anything other than yes to be honest i think he plays um, both of his characters well. Um, and like we mentioned earlier, I think mm-hmm. when he gets the opportunity to loose the reins, both as an actor and as his character, I think he excels. And I think he does a really good job at making us, the viewer, feel that his character is now loose and there's a, 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 a switch gone on his head and he has free reign to do what he wants. And I think he does that really, really well. Really well. Excellent. Stu? Thumbs up from you, is it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's very much like what we said last week. We had one of the questions um, what make, from Rich, what makes a good actor? And in this, it takes everything. Because you have got 
the um, the madness and the, the typical cage. Um, it's all over the place. It's caging the joint completely. And But at the same time, you have got the moments, like I mentioned, where he's, he's inside and his internal hurts and he's, he knows what he's got to do, but he, he still don't want to do it at the same time. And he actually, them scenes are really, really good. So mm. I think out of all of them, this is probably the best one for his performance so far. So yeah, he's absolutely a good actor. Excellent. From me, so you know that I listed the the pairs of names of who were going to be, who could have played the two main roles mm-hmm. in this film. I think if you had anybody else, you wouldn't get this performance. What you need in a film that is this, this next level crazy, you need someone who is just going to be balls out, wide-eyed, mental. You need Nick Cage. Anybody else in this film other than Nick Cage, if you had Bruce Willis doing his quiet, simmering, sort of cocky, arrogant shit, wouldn't work. Wouldn't be interesting. Would be a straight to DVD nonsense. So, yeah, if you didn't have Nick Cage, you don't get this film. Mm. And I want this film, and I want Nick Cage. So yeah, what, it's a definite. Well, I've got yeah. one. Can I have a bonus question? A bonus question here. Of course. How do you? All about how the do questions. You, how do you feel if they'd have reversed? If they'd have put the film in a mirror, so to speak. So originally, we follow the plot of bad oh my god we follow the Mm -hmm. plot of bad cage is bad cage throughout so originally it's bad travolta good cage and then it swaps okay so travolta is caster and cage is um so my favorite of the four of the four characters let's say my favorite without a shadow of a doubt is bad cage so when cage is the priest and obviously we'd have seen we'd have seen would we have seen more of that? I'm not sure we would because he's, he's pretending to be a good guy. He's in a Travolta, bad Travolta is pretending to be a good guy. I just wondered if they'd have done it in the other way around, how we would have felt that film would have gone. What do you think, Stu? No, I don't think it would have worked as well. You see, as well as, as good as Travolta is as being a maniac, um, he's not caged ever, is he? So no. it, it would work from the other point of view. From good cage, good Travolta, that would work that way, but the mental version would be nowhere near. Mm, so, so for me, for yeah. me, I don't think it would work. The earnest, down-to-earth Travolta wasn't that interesting. I didn't no. really care that his kid was shot, and <laughs> <laughs> that that came out wrong. I didn't care about <laughs> his struggle or anything. He didn't make yeah. me feel for him. Um, whereas when you had the more earnest Nick Cage. I think that works really well, That's especially because it gave him the opportunity to delve into the other side and the psyche of that character. So I think that works really well. Yeah, I would still watch it. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I think yeah. it worked better this way than it probably would the other way. What do yeah. you think, Matt? Are you? No, I think I think I'm purely uh, from a morbid curiosity point of view would want to <laughs> see it, but I think for the reasons that I praise the film so much in the first place and, and Cage's performance in the first place, you're not going to get that. I think Cage being good, enjoying being bad, works far better than Cage being bad, enjoying being the family man. 
Mm. So, uh, you know, I think it's right that the way that they did it. I just wonder if that was ever a conversation that they had. Like, how did how were they going to format this? You know, so th- this is what we're going to do, guys. Yeah. Was that always the plan all along? And, I, I, you know, I hope it was. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Face Off done. Let's move on to uh, the next film, which is... <sighs> it's next. <laughs> Mentalists, magicians, illusionists. You'd be shocked to know that sometimes, not often, but sometimes, it's the real deal. Okay, here we go. Next, <laughs> 2007. <laughs> you can see we are really looking forward to this. Nick Cage is sat waiting in a cafe, checking his watch, looking at the door. No one comes. Is that a wig or is that a weave, do we think, this time? Let's go weave. Yeah, it's got sort of the shape of a Nick Cage hair, but thicker. <laughs> but it, it it almost looks so bad that it could... I mean, this is, what, 10 years later from Face Off, so mm. it, it could he could have grown his hair out. <laughs> he could have. He could, could just be really, have really bad hair, and he's he, not accepted it. But he's got really thin hair, so it's weird when it looks thick and... We do need to have a wig wash, I think, on every after every film. <laughs> so we cut to Vegas. We know it's Vegas because Elvis is playing. Everything in this film is going to be this on the nose, isn't it? Yeah. There's going to be no mistake in anything that's going on. Nick Cage is a hokey magician. He can tell what's going to happen before it happens. We see Julianne Moore and some dude discussing Cage. As they're both dressed up all in black, I was kind of hoping they were going to be some kind of like secret ops men in black mm. type dudes but it just turns out they're fbi and it was a bit boring a bit of a come down i thought i thought that'd be quite cool if we get something a bit next worldy but we get nothing quite like that do we <clears throat> they're there appearing to be scouting nicholas a good little scene where we get to see the demonstration of his powers so rather than just being told he can see into the future he shows us that he can see into the future by making everybody stare at that woman's breasts as the <laughs> necklace falls off. <laughs> Apparently, and I didn't realise this till looking at IMDb afterwards, the lady whose bosoms we were staring at, that is Alice Kim Cage, his third wife. No way. No, okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. He has got, he's had another wife since. I think he was only with the fourth one for about a week. Of course. Yeah, <clears throat> he's one of those, isn't he? Why would you even get married after? The... I mean, being married once is bad enough. <laughs> um, but it's you who has got a wife. <laughs> <laughs> but why, why would you do it more than twice? It doesn't make any sense. Well, the second why... one was to um, Lisa Marie Presley. So maybe he's just trying to erase that memory. <laughs> over and over and over again. Yeah. Sadly, after all the good work of showing us the trick, they give us a voiceover telling us exactly what they've just shown us. So, yeah, we get the exposition dump because, of course, Nicholas Cage is playing Chris without an H Johnson. He's a two-bit magician. <laughs> I, I did like that, though, Chris without an yes. H. <laughs> he can tell the future two minutes in advance. However, by looking at the future, he changes it. Is this going to be some kind of Schrodinger's cat type deal? Let's find out. They then show us this power that he's got by giving us a dream sequence where some guy pulls a gun and shoots two people. Then when it goes to happen in real life, Chris 
stops it somehow, managed to, to get in the way and stops the guy from drawing the gun. The security boss from the casino, played by Jose Zuniga, that's the agent who was killed in Con Air. Mm. Did we notice that? So I think that Nicolas Cage might hate him because that's two films we've seen <laughs> in a short period of time and he dies in both of them. Uh, so he's able to, he wants to have a word with uh, with Chris, but he realises that he's on his way and has been able to read the future. He can plot a course through this busy casino and evades capture. We then cut to Julianne Moore talking to what I presume is her boss. It's never really explained. We're just supposed to guess. And she's showing a video of Johnson escape the casino, explaining that he knows what's about to happen and is, and does it to avoid being caught. This dialogue was dreadful. Mm-hmm. So I've got it here. <clears throat> Julianne Moore, he knows exactly what to do to not get caught. Can you explain that to me, Julianne Moore's boss? No, I can't explain it, and nor do I have the time. The Russian Federation <laughs> have a 10 kiloton <laughs> nuclear munition unaccounted for. The fuck... Who is that line for? He's not mm. saying it for her benefit. She's well aware of the situation. That is just some really clunky exposition. I think it's really, really bad. For however terrible the actual dialogue was, I like this scene. Oh, I did as well. <laughs> really? it, was all, it was all very like Ocean's Eleven kind of cool. The yeah. whole like, evading capture <laughs> thing. I really liked that part. I thought, oh, this is going to be all right. Yeah, I got a kick for I got a kick from that part of the film as well. It like I've got them. I know you know it, I do love a good casino scene, and you know like they were they were cutting through, and I think they did it from a, like a choreography point of view really well. Yeah, but, it's a bit like the, um, it's a bit like in the, in the Matrix scene where you said Neo go now and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, so it appears that Julianne Moore, her character is called Callie Ferris. I may forget that in a bit, to be honest, but just just so you're aware. Uh, she has dragged a group of at least a dozen FBI officers and her boss to Vegas to watch and analyse some schlocky magician. <laughs> As opposed to, you know, finding the fucking bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly manages to catch up with Chris and tries to guilt him, a man who is not a trained police officer, to sign up and join saving the world from a bomb. Like, he's not a copper. He's not in the military. Why would he do that? Mm. But, yeah. I don't think we um, we need to really question the guy's intelligence because he's not, I've got, he's not very clever. Like, they, they shoehorn it in all the time because he keeps saying, to, to hide the fact that he's got this ability, you know, he doesn't want anybody to know, but he keeps saying, he was going to shoot two people. It's a really, <laughs> speci- it's a really specific, yeah. like thing like if he was just gonna say oh he was gonna hurt someone okay well no one's gonna suggest that you know what was about to happen no he was going to shoot two people he, could, he might as well have said he was gonna shoot one in the knee one in the face you know what i mean it's just he's giving away the game far too easily he could have just he could have quite easily said he had a gun and he was reaching for it yeah exactly yeah. anything anything but what he actually fucking said <laughs> but the worst thing about this scene the the exchange between callie and chris is that she's trying to make him feel guilty for mm. not wanting to, to risk his own life when she has wasted at least 24 hours going to Vegas to watch a magician and not do her actual job. Mm. <laughs> that is just awful. So this is a bait and switch, actually. That never happened. It was all in Chris's mind. <sighs> this fucking film, honestly. Yeah. 
that's the we first did. of my, it's the first of my on my notes of the capital letters oh fuck off that i've wrote <laughs> <laughs> like on numerous occasions yeah mine builds up to that <laughs> we then go back to the casino where we see two go- goons who shoot the cop from conair just because he's got to die he's in a nick cage film he's got to die back to the cafe again from the start of the film Johnson sees beautiful Jessica Beale enter the cafe. We get a weird scene where Johnson plays out several possible scenarios, each one where Beale shoots him down. When he finally gets up to make his move, she immediately cuts him off, telling him to not waste his time. I did laugh at that bit, even though it turns out it wasn't real. I did like that bit where he goes to stand up and she's like, don't even bother, dickhead. I thought that was quite <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> yeah. There are elements of, like, think the way that some some of the elements of this film are shot that are actually really, like, I really enjoyed. And that scene, uh, you know, obviously plays on a ground dog day, you mm. know, elements. But I, I enjoyed it. I thought that was actually a bit of comic relief that the film desperately needed. There were, there were a lot of times where there were a lot of good ideas that were just done really, really badly. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that puts it quite well, actually, yeah. What I didn't like in this scene, the way he is just ogling her as she walks into the cafe. It's just like, as a society, we've sort of moved past or we're trying to move past this, <laughs> you know, with the, the whole Me Too movement and everything like that. And it, it just drags us back a few years as a species where it, it just looked awful, I thought. But mm. to be fair, if she walked in to anywhere we were sitting you would stare at her regardless of what you hit what year you're in because she's stunning in this she is beautiful there's no question about it but nick cage just makes it look really really creepy i found so he uses his powers and influence to get close to jessica beale her name is going to be liz throughout this film i thought this was creepy as fuck it's almost like he's grooming her mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Agreed. It's, it's very insidious you know, it's it wasn't loving or sexy. It was cold and it was manipulative almost. And we're supposed to be on this guy's side. He's supposed to be the hero of the film. And all I'm mm. thinking is, you're a bit of a lech, mate. That bitch yeah, should be running for the hills. Yeah. <laughs> Johnson eventually wears Liz down. And that's the best way to put it. He doesn't yes. win her over. He wears her down. Uh, and then they go on this road trip. This road trip, which is mostly a waste of time, it's just an excuse to have these two characters talk and Nick Cage to keep jumping forward a couple of minutes and say what is right to get her into bed, because that seems to be all he's interested in. He's not even bothered about saving the world at this point. He's just bothered about getting his end away. But you have you have missed one crucial, brilliant quote of the film, though, oh, in the um, calf. Yeah, go on. Where he... Um, her you presume ex-boyfriend appears and you have the um, the different ways he's going to approach the subject of dealing with him. In the end, he ends up voluntarily getting punched in the face to, to look like the victim. Instead of saying, I'm her future, in a really, really creepy way. <laughs> yeah, it's just cringeworthy, isn't it, the highest order? Yeah, it was not, not good. Uh, you're going to say uh, something, Stu? Sorry, uh, mate. There was other other lines earlier on as well where he says, you know, I've always been a leg man <laughs> and things like oh, this. God, yeah. 
2007. Throughout the film, I thought the whole dialogue was just appalling from every character, not just the, the horribly sexually repugnant stuff that he comes out with <laughs> the thing is they could have had it they they, they could have done a uh, if they wanted to cast him as a sleazy vegas um like not even almost a con artist they could have gone down that route with his character and the abilities mm. that he had um and that would have at least added a little depth and made us kind of understand why he's this bit sleazy character um and they could have they could have done that they could have done they know that Julianne Moore knows that he's got these powers because actually he's a career criminal and they know, you know, two moves ahead, how he's going to rob a bank or something like that. And at least there'd have been a little bit of depth to it. But now he's just this magician that doesn't want people. So he's, he's happy enough to have this small time show in downtown Vegas, but he doesn't want to be famous, but he does performance as his career. If you had those <laughs> skills, you'd just be a famous person. Mm. I don't understand why he's a small bit downtown Vegas performer when with the skills he had, he could be rich and famous and not have to live in the squalor that he does live in. It just makes no sense to me. It's annoyed me. (laughs) Stealing cars and talking to a strange old man with a pool table. Why? Who who was he? Yeah, that never gets sort of expanded on, does it? We don't come back to him or anything. Why was he even there? He was just his buddy. Oh. <laughs> who was who was old enough to probably be his granddad? <laughs> so he's he's hanging around with old men and he's letting on young girls. <laughs> oh. oh, it's just and creepy. Then, and then it, she gets in a car with him and goes on a road trip when she's she's known him for two minutes. Yeah. And and like you look in those two minutes, he started a fight or it was involved in a fracas within those two minutes of knowing him. Yeah. Like alarm bell should have been ringing for her, but I guess she brings it on herself, really, in this because <laughs> the warning signs of him being a sociopath are there straight away, and she should have ran when she got a chance. Not a good look. <clears throat> so where were we anyway? I've lost my place on my notes. Road so trip. we're uh, we're on the road trip. <laughs> we're hell. on the road trip, aren't we? Jeez. Ah, yeah. So eventually. He wears Liz down after a little bit of flirting and he gets her into the sack, even though he's constantly coming across as the creepiest bastard in every room. (laughs) And not even like in a loving way, but when he looks at her. So there was that scene where they were visiting the uh, Native Americans, I believe they were, or the indigenous people of that area. And there's this one scene where she looks over at him and he looks back at her. And she's got this smile, like, oh, look what we're doing. And he's just full-on Superman X-ray vision staring at her. <laughs> it's like, mate, chill out. Jeez. Is that your boyfriend? <laughs> oh, they're awful. Uh, so, yeah, so they've finally got, well, he's finally got what he wanted and has slept with her. When she goes out the morning after to get breakfast or, or whatever it was, she bumps into the FBI officer, Julianne Moore's character, Callie, where she explains to him that he is a sociopath and that she needs to drug him. Now, surely, if she thinks it's acceptable to drug him, that makes her a sociopath as well. <laughs> they blur the lines of um, of the, the FBI. That they're very shady to begin with. They blur the lines of who is right and wrong in this film yeah. more times than I care to, to remember, to be honest. Um, there's no definitive good guy or bad guy apart from the nation 
of uh, the collection of nations as the villains who seem to have every kind of <laughs> like uh, you know we've got, we've got like Dutch in there. I think we've got Russian. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we had like some kind of Arabic country in there as a terrorist as well. It's just a, 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 a United Nations of terrorism, basically. That's it. Anyone who's had a problem with the US in the past, they're going to be in the team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the uh, the uh, token English guy who, who probably wasn't even English. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. Mm. So, Liz just assumes that the stranger she's never met in Cali is telling her the truth. She just assumes that, okay, he is a psychopath, I need to drug him. But then again, she only met this guy 24 hours ago and has already fucked him, so... She's not really the best judge of character, is she? Let's be perfectly <laughs> honest. Liz then attempts to drug Johnson before immediately confessing to him on what she's done. Johnson demonstrates his power by switching on the TV and flicking through channels just to show that he knows what adverts on the next channel. I realised at this scene I had 100% checked out. <laughs> I, I'd honestly I'd lost the will. We were about an hour or so into the film at this point, and I just thought... You're constantly pulling the rug from underneath my feet. Mm. Okay, if it happens once, fine, I sort of I get that. But it's every single time. And you've given me a hero who's a sex pest. <laughs> you've given me the woman who who we're supposed to like actually care for, who seems to be a bit of an idiot. And then you've got Julianne Moore, who is always great in everything, apart from this film. Mm. I know exactly what you mean, mate. It's like the, the the difference between this film and pretty much every film we've covered so far is I found myself only watching this film to write notes for it to do a podcast. Mm. Whereas every other film, even Con Air, which I think was the weakest of the films so far in terms of um, like, well, I suppose National Treasure. So that's far back. We've gone now in terms of like plot and everything else um I, I enjoyed and then wrote on the back of it this it was just it was a plot it just went on and on and on and every time we had that bait and switch i just got more and more angry mm-hmm. that i was just going oh christ almighty here we go again you know and it, it's silly little things that like you mentioned um like uh, her character um she would just believe anything but you could tell her anything and she'd believe it <laughs> And just not not questioning it at all, and silly little things that like you know the director really should have picked up on in that they've slept together. Okay, fine. People sleep on the first date, not an issue with that. They're so cuddly and kissy afterwards. It's so cringeworthy and horrible, and I'm just oh, it makes me physically sick to like look. I mean, I'm not a great person for public affection anyway, but it's just it was just so it was just so badly put together. The characters are so thick as pig shit between them um it's just it was just awful i really really it's not like questionable in a way that con air like you you can you can not believe it because you're having a good time with this you're picking holes at everything because it's so awful it's dirge it's, it's so when, when she was um when he did the uh the honorable thing and slept in the car and she was like she woke up and she was looking out the window at him like he was like some kind of like a straight a stray dog in lady in the trap <laughs> Why he wants to go in the car? He's doing the not doing the honourable thing. Why are you puppy dog eyeing him when he's you've known him for less than twenty four hours at that time before you even ever done the romba? And like you said, Matt, she's stupid. 
Mm. She's probably one of the stupidest characters I've ever seen on, in mm. any film. And I've watched a lot of Rob, a load of nonsense. But it was the point where, oh, what are you? The drug thing. And he said, oh, it'll, it'll take two mm. minutes. What what kind of drug is this? <laughs> the ta- the, the yeah. takes two, two minutes. And you, what are you going to do then? Run away. And it, the whole thing was having the whole two minutes for everything. Just kind of like, it was the same point as you, isn't it? It started to get surely he'd now. It doesn't. It's not a set time of two minutes. Surely it's a recurring two minutes that he sees in the future. Not oh yeah, if you do it within two minutes, he won't see. Well, yeah. Why? Mm. Why wouldn't he? If, he? if he can see two minutes into the future, surely he's constantly seeing two minutes into the future. Has he got like some kind of Google Google Glass vision in his eyes? <laughs> <laughs> How does it work? None of it's explained, and it doesn't make any sense. No, and it was when the drug thing came out. I thought this can only get worse, and I think mm. it does. Yeah, and this is the first time I've written down "fuck this movie." <laughs> <laughs> she has a crisis of conscience when she realizes that the man that she met only yesterday, who has systematically been grooming her, decides to side with him anyway. Chris tells Liz to run the car off the edge of a cliff to help with his escape. I think this is a good point where we can discuss the special effects of the movie. Uh, 90s CGI in 2007. The exact thing <laughs> I've written down. <laughs> it looks it... like, it looks like, remember the first CGI um, TV show that used to be on CITV called Reboot? It was, it was like really, really basic geometric shapes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it might as well have just been that. Because it, it looked... <laughs> I can't believe I, it doesn't make any sense. Who is that shit? It just it's it's a, a, a Fiji film with decent named people in it with a decent ish budget. Seventy million. Exactly. Seventy million dollars. <laughs> this the was only, thing, the this only was... thing I can even link it closely to. I don't know if you guys watched The Walking Dead, but I think a couple of seasons ago they superimposed a deer into The Walking Dead that like took the internet by storm, and they had absolutely no reason to, and it was massively jarring and like <laughs> a film of that like it's exactly the same, Stu. Yeah, well, they only, they took it out for the Blu-ray of that season. It's oh, not really. It. Yeah, it's not in it anymore. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it is. It's things like that. It's it's worse than Jumanji, the first one. Mm. And that was what 95, 94? Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the like monk, that, yeah. It's it's on a par with Jumanji, which was earlier, and the monkeys in Crystal Skull. That's how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just if you couldn't do it properly, just don't do it at all. No. Because it didn't then UCG whatsoever in that in this film until then. Mm. It was utterly unnecessary as well. Didn't really add anything to the film. It it so just I made it. It made it ten times worse. Yeah. If that was even possible at that point. <laughs> I've got down here that it was sub PS1 graphics. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, that's exactly yeah. what it, it was like. The cutscenes in Tomb Raider 2 when they're on the world, Great Wall of China. Yeah. That was exactly what I was thinking. It was the Tomb Raider games from back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> so we get a bit more detail of the goons who killed the Conair cop. They're part of a third faction in this film. Never really given any screen time or interest, to be perfectly honest. All we know about is Chris, the FBI, and this dark shadow in the background. 
But yeah, so they're after Johnson, so they kidnap Elise. However, cut to Callie finally gets to Chris in a cell and puts those oily dope and the things on him, a bit like in Clockwork Orange. Those yeah. things always make me feel horrible. Mm. Whenever in I lo- see them, anything now, I'm like, it just makes me cringe. It was in um, in Lost as well, right on the uh, on the second island. Yeah, it's season three or four, and it was the same thing. It was like um, exactly the same same thing as Clockwork Orange. You know, they, they always have the, the eye opener things with a, a blinking screen of madness in front of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is, isn't it? yeah, I think I'd given up on Lost by that point, if I remember correctly. <sighs> you should watching Lost is better than this. It's not fucking difficult, is it? <laughs> <laughs> You know what? We, we, we slagged the CGI off. We didn't even talk about what it actually was. Oh, yeah. So that was it. Uh, Liz drove the car off the edge of the, the, the Overlook Hotel, thus causing all of these trunks and everything to start falling down around them. And Nick Cage just managed to stand in the right place at the right time in order to avoid being hit. By, and, by, construct, by, by 200-year-old trains... That <laughs> was just somewhere there. <laughs> yeah. For no reason whatsoever. Just destroying the landscape. And then he gets caught right at the very end because he realises that Julianne Moore's character, Callie, was going to be hit and would be killed. So he saves her, thus sacrificing himself to the FBI, which is exactly what he didn't want to do. Obviously, he's now been caught and he's in this room where they're trying to brainwash him and get him on their team. Uh, and they've known about, hang on, where are we? I keep getting lost in this film because honestly, it's <laughs> just mind bending and you never know where you are. Right. OK, so. OK, there we are. OK, so Callie finally gets Chris into the cell with the eyelid opener things. All I kept thinking at this point is that we were told at the start that they're chasing a nuclear weapon. And in that time, since we've got to this that nuclear weapon, we were told, was stolen five weeks before they knew about it, and they've known about it a week. So that, it's been six weeks before the start of this film, and a WMD has been missing. They've spent four days chasing a fucking magician around America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being funny. Call Jack Bauer. This shit will be done in a day. So Chris has a vision of Lee's getting blown up off the roof, getting blown up on the rooftop. And manages to escape the prison cell. Callie works out that the guys with the bomb are also the guys who are trying to blow Liz up. So they now join forces and they're on the same team. Honestly, this is some of the most convoluted, fortuitous bullshit ever at this point. It just all falls into place. So now there's only the two teams. The the shadowy guys and now the FBI. They're all one. Oh. The team managed to beat the Euro Trash. And poor man's Jeremy Irons from Die Hard with a Vengeance to get Lisa back. <laughs> <laughs> I hated all of this. It was bollocks. There was absolutely no jeopardy. Again, I've just written down here, fuck this film. Um, there was no jeopardy je- jeopardy for the characters. At no point did we think any of them are going to get killed. We knew yeah. he was going to rescue her. In the next scene where, where they're in, the bit where all of the Euro trash are firing on the, the FBI and, and Chris... He can dodge bullets. We know this. He can see into the future. So at no point did I think someone's going to die here. It was just, it was pointless. I mean, 
And that's the worst thing you can say about a film, really. It was pointless. There was an element of it, though, that I did think to myself, yes, he can dodge bullets. However, for him, what they're saying, there has to be a, a version of events. Let's call it timelines. There has to be a timeline where something happens that he can get out of the way. But if there's explosions... There's not a timeline where all of a sudden he he is made of metal or he doesn't die. There's going to be shrapnel. There's all these things that happen that just because he can see two minutes into the future, he would still die because of it, and he never gets hurt. Like there's, you're exactly right. There's actual no danger. There's no fear that anything bad's going to happen to the guy. So mm-hmm. it just completely becomes irrelevant. And you know, it's just I just didn't. It's like when he's walking through like without any protective equipment and walking through when everybody else is to the nines in like riot gear and, and walking through and he's there in that same yeah. beige jacket the whole way through. <laughs> um, and I just think to myself, like, you know, if, if, a, if the bomb goes off, just because you can see two minutes into the future, I just, I just didn't get it. I just I could go on all night about how, how awful um, the, the use of the two minutes was, um, you know, like Stu said earlier. But the, the only bit of it that holds the thing in the warehouse where he said, Oh, I'll check everything else out. Yeah. That was, I thought how that was done was all right. Mm. How he, you know, the, the multiple versions of himself in the same, I know it's an old trick and everything else, but mm. I thought that was actually all right. I thought, oh, that's, that's quite, quite good actually in the context of this film. Yeah. Um, that was, that was surprisingly all right. But it, it like you said, it comes down to the same problem of, the two minutes thing is recurring, so there's no point in any of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ugh, fuck this film, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they've managed to kill everyone in there, but oh no, the bomb still goes off. They're in the wrong place. So in actuality, the atomic bomb goes off. They all die. But not really, because we go back <laughs> earlier in the day to just after he's banged Liz. And we're back at the start of it all. Oh, just, oh. I've written down here like four times, fuck this movie, fuck this movie. Just, just give me something to hang my hat on, you know. You know, when it this, gives you nothing. When this happened, and it went, it went back to that, ho- that motel room, and I thought... Well, what did he say? It's like, I've done something wrong, or this is wrong, or something like that. Yeah. And it goes back to the hotel room. I thought, okay. Okay. In a kind of, like, curious what, what they're going to do now. And then the thing fucking ends. It just stops. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, I, I picked pick my, my remote up, and I threw it on the floor. Because when the, the, the credits start from the bottom up in a kind of clever way... I thought surely that can't be the end of the film, because as because I'd never seen this film before, and um, I never will again. So I, I had no idea on runtime or anything like that. I just put it on. They even know what it was about. Just put it on because I knew it was sci-fi and it related to Face Off. So I, I thought, well, surely this is just like a tester thing, and then it's going to rewind the credits and we're going to carry on with the film. And I sat there for five minutes. This is the end of the film. <laughs> like, like you're waiting for like a uh, Marvel and like yeah, yeah. I was I was, in, I was in so much shock. Uh, this is the worst ending of any film I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm 30, 36 and a half years old. 
And yeah, it's just stupid. stunningly shit. There's no... No payoff at all. Yeah, there's no payoff. You think, okay, yeah, we've rewound. Yeah, okay. That's more than two minutes. But we know we can, in some cases, you can see further than two minutes if in special circumstances, which, again, is never explained. And why she's the chosen one is never explained, apart from being fit. <laughs> Early 2000s way. And it was just like... There's bad endings, and then there's next. Mm. It doesn't even end, does it? Let's be honest. It no. just stops. It's like you, the you difference. Just, it stops, and you you think, oh, well, okay. Well, he so must have just... So what's he going to do now? Yeah. Yeah. You think, okay, I, I expected it to go rewind the, the credits, do kind of like a fast-forward version of that, get to the bomb section, and then do something slightly different, and then there'll be a payoff for Liz later. At least... At least there's an end, and it's yeah, it's still a bad film. But there's <laughs> something there, yeah. Yeah, but to end like that, I thought, nah, fuck this. This is <laughs> this. This is just. There's no. I mean, there's. I'm, I'm lost for words at how angry I was. And then, this was. I mean, I know we, we mentioned how great, how great Hamilton was, and I put Hamilton on after a Pathetic Wolves performance. I couldn't even put another film on after watching this because I was so mad. I went to bed. <laughs> wow. You had to sleep it off. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to sleep it off because I couldn't believe what I'd just seen. It was just absolute nonsense. Oh, no. And when you've watched Sharknado and Sharknado 2, 3, and 4, they, they have an end. This mm. doesn't even have an end. It just stops. Yeah. Nah. I, I drew some comparisons in my notes originally to Sharknado. <laughs> well, it, it, it is that level of cack, for want of a better word. But at least that's the thing that at least Sharknado knows what it is and it mm. plays. Yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. This, this tries to be something it's not. It, this, in parts, was okay and yeah, good ideas, but it's just so badly flawed and badly thought out and badly executed that. It's just complete nonsense. Mm. And it's... Uh, so you, can we recommend it to anyone? No. Unless you want to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no. No one should watch this film if you haven't seen it already. No one. It's appalling. Right. Do you know what the return was for this film? So I've already mentioned it was a $70 million budget. Do you know what it got domestically and worldwide? Have a guess. I'd guess it. Probably I'm gonna. Not. I'm gonna suggest it did maybe better than better than we think, and I don't know. Break even. Yeah, I, I would say it made, it made its money back. Okay, so on its opening weekend, it made seven million dollars. <laughs> Domestically, it only made eighteen. So that's Jesus. quite bad. Worldwide, it made its money back. Well, I say it made it made seventy-seven million. So it made seven million more than the budget, but actually, when you take into account advertising and stuff, it yeah. probably it probably lost about seventy million. To be perfectly honest, it's a bit of a disaster. All yeah, range, to be honest, this film. A, it's it's a death knell for anybody involved with it in a way, isn't it? Really, I mean, I'm surprised yeah. it doesn't relegate a lot of people to, you know, C D E list status. You know what I mean? Mm. It's um. Doesn't he? Doesn't I don't think anybody benefits from that from this yeah. film. It's a, and, and, 
this is the cat like you said about Julianne Moore as well, mm. and all three of them are very good. And yeah, very good borderline excellence in certain films. And this is what we, we mentioned it before, and we about certain certain stars don't talk about certain films because they hate them so much. Mm-hmm. And you got to imagine even the people who made the sandwiches on set of this film hated it. <laughs> yeah, just total denial. Yeah. Okay, right. Let's do the good, the bad, and the crazy. I don't think there's going to be much goodies. So let's be honest, um, Matt. Good, bad, and crazy on this one, please. There were some good. There were some good scenes within a poor film. So the the casino scene was nicely like choreographed. Um, what Stewart said about when he's going to go look at all the different rooms and they split cage off in all these different um, versions of him walking around. You know, there were some good elements there, and I wish they'd have just ex- attacked the film in a different way. Like you know, like I mentioned earlier, let's let's. We can add a bit of substance to Cage's character if we ha- if we just approached it in a different way. Bad, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Bad, you know, you know, one thing in particular, um, Beale's character um, being completely um, just oblivious to the world that's going on around her. He mm. does nothing for, the, you know, he does nothing for a female role at all. This film, no. it just she's just. She's just a piece of meat to be used as a plot device. There's no, no, she, nothing gets, you know, no one benefits from her being in this role other than to, to, to further the plot on. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the crazy, I mean, the, the thing I found the most engaging of this film is, you know, time travel confuses the hell out of me to begin with. <laughs> and I'm just thinking to myself, I was thinking to myself, I always make the same argument about Bernard's watch. So anyone that's listening from America probably won't know what Bernard's watch is. But <laughs> when Bernard's watch is, st- all I could think about, like I was zoning out of the film so much. When Bernard's watch is stopped, does Bernard age? That's what the kind of things I was thinking about while yeah. I was watching this film. <laughs> um, and I was just like, yeah, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's a film about time travel. It's crazy enough. I didn't understand it. Please let's move on <laughs> to anything else. <laughs> Stu, what are you saying, mate? Some scenes were good. Some scenes, like we, Matt's mentioned them. I've, I've mentioned them. The some of the things that were genuinely cool, and some ideas were all right. But <laughs> you're trying it. What was an hour and a half of wasted nonsense that. You can't even oh, <laughs> throwing the boatload on the floor. <laughs> just trying to just trying to remember anything remotely good about him. Mm. And okay, the, the casino scene was good. The the bits where it actually showed him doing his thing, mm-hmm. and I don't really like Groundhog Day stuff as a rule. Mm. It just gets even when when episodes are supernatural when they've had Grand Dog Day episodes. Okay, okay, here we go again. I know people like that stuff, but I don't. It's just time repeating over and over again. In this, when they actually showed it and the different variations of it, I thought how it was actually cut together. It was quite fast, so it it was better. It worked, but that's why I expected the ending to be. Mm. I thought that's what that's what was going to happen because when they showed it at the start and the, and in other points in the middle that it was going to be jump cut jump cut 
present day, present time, then carry on. That stuff was good. Mm. Everything else, script, bad. Film, bad. <laughs> Acting, bad. <laughs> um, CGI, for no reason, bad. It just didn't need to be made. It's just, it's just terrible. No, simply put, yeah. Um, for me, I'm really struggling to think of anything I enjoyed about this film. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe that opening scene in the casino where he's showing us that he's a sleazy magician. That showed a bit of promise, but it was never really expanded on. So mm. it, it led to nothing pretty much. There was a seed there where that could have ended up being something interesting. Could have been something fun and funny. But that's not what we were given, unfortunately. No. So maybe, maybe the good is the the promise at the beginning. But sadly, it was unfulfilled. The bad, oh, that ending. I was just furious. Just give me any payoff, just anything at this point. Not just, oh, they're driving off in a car to save the day now. Will they do it? Who knows? <laughs> of course they will, because you can see into the bloody future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the crazy, I didn't understand. Why were the credits rolling up rather than down? Because Right, it's not a time travel film. They're not travelling back in time. Yeah, true. You can just see two minutes into the future. I thought, what the fuck are you doing? You should be showing us like jump cuts to like the best boy before you show us the leading man or something. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, I, I didn't get that. But well, that's me. Right. OK, so the two questions, I think we've kind of answered these over and over in this one. Did you enjoy this film? I'm going to say absolutely not. I wrote fuck this film several times in my notes. That should say it all. Stu, did you enjoy it? Even for me, no. No, I didn't. <laughs> and I like everything. But there's nothing... That... This would get... You know, at some point, we're going to rank these and put them in some kind of order. This is not going to be in that conversation. Even even if there's only... Even if there's no films left in the entire world, I'd mm-hmm. rather just look at a rock and watch Moss grow on it than watch this again. <laughs> if you think we've watched six films now... Mm-hmm. And, and this would still struggle to get in my top six. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Matt, I, I take it you're uh, also going to be a, no, you didn't enjoy this. No, let's move on. <laughs> so based on this film and this film alone, is Nicolas Cage good or bad? Stu? He didn't really have a lot to work with, to be fair to him. <laughs> and I don't think anyone did. Um <laughs> You you got to think if this was anyone's first film, they'd never work again. So mm. no. Mm. First. Are you saying the same, Matt? Yeah, I mean, if if we're looking at this as an aliens come down, and this is the only film they've ever watched with no preconceptions of of, of Nicolas Cage, I don't think he's particularly bad in the film. You you got to ask what his direction is, but he's, he certainly has got nothing to dig get his teeth into. So I've got to say no. Unfortunately, mm. uh, it's a no for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if to go back to Sharknado, if you had Iron Zeering in the, the lead role, you would have got exactly the same thing out of him. There was nothing in this film, in that script, in anything about this movie to get an actor over. Yeah. And he didn't really bring anything extra either, sadly. So it's a no from me on this one, I'm afraid. Sorry, Cage. 
Can't all be perfect, I suppose. <clears throat> I guess not. Yeah. Okay. So you can join us next week where we'll be back on the old question cast. Send us your questions. Send them on Twitter to at CageFightingPod or email us to CageFightingPod at gmail.com. Trying to sort out that Facebook still, but honestly, I've never really used it. Keep an eye out. Uh, Subscribe, rate and review. We'll read out those reviews and love you forever for them. So for this week's picture pod, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Oh, wait a minute. But <laughs> it was, <laughs> this, was, this was so bad that I felt sorry for Jessica Bill in this because I've seen her in a few things and she's always been all right. And I found that it's a bit of a spoiler for next week, but the, um, there's a, a series on Netflix called The Sinner with her and Bill Pullman. So I, I've watched the first couple of episodes of that and she's 10 times better than that okay. in the first in, I suppose what's 25 minutes of screen time in a TV show than she was in this entire film. So watch that with me and, and we'll talk about that next week. So, yeah. So we're going to get a redemption one. arc. I like yeah. it. Awesome. And from me, I'd just like to say, I'm your future. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>